guys who are going off to play college baseball, they tend to be a year older. It's just a huge benefit to get that extra year to be prepared for the peer group that you're going to be competing with in that next four years at the college level. That was coach Donnie McKillop from Loomis Chafee. He'll be our guest on the Base Path podcast. Welcome to the Base Path Podcast brought to you by New England Baseball Journal. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan, along with co-host Matt Feld. Today's guest is the coach of one of the top prep school programs in New England, Loomis Chafee coach Donnie McKillop, who led his team to an 18-2 record and Founders League championship last spring. Coach, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. It's funny. We've been in communication throughout the fall, and it seems like every day or two, you, you guys get a new commitment. You have 19 college players from last year's roster, including 11 that are going to play, either are playing or going to play at the D1 level. How do you, how do you get so many guys fast track to the college baseball scene? Yeah, we, we've, we've built a pretty good program here over time. I was able to, to take over for Jeff Ross in 2017 and, and the school and the program, I think is in a really good place, both athletically and academically. So it, it attracts a lot of great student athletes to come to the, the school. And then as I've been here last year was really my first year where kind of the team was what I had built over four years and had a full recruiting cycle for every kid. So it was really over a, a long period of time building kids up from but last year's class. We had eight kids go off to play college baseball six of them came here as freshmen and so the other two were postgraduates and then we actually had two kids who are in this senior class who reclassified while here due to a lot of the covid reasons and those kids are are going off to play college baseball next year too so that'd be two in last year's class to add to that number being really eight of last year's seniors that came as true freshmen so it's really uh coming here for a variety of of, of lengths of time but most of our kids come in either that freshman or sophomore year, and then we kind of supplant with some older kids when they're available to come to Loomis as well. Coach, I'm kind of fascinated by your career trajectory because I know you've kind of gone back and forth between football and baseball throughout your career over up until your stop now. And how'd you kind of determine that you wanted to do both at the prep school level after having coached both at varying different points in your career at the college level? Yeah. So for me, I, I've always played football and baseball and gone to school. And then when I was graduating college at Middlebury, and it's one thing out in Southern California, everyone always thought like, hey, maybe I would choose to specialize in one or the other. But for me, I, I never had to choose. So I went off to college and, and played both and just was basically six months on one, six months on the other. And when I went off to Middlebury, I was able to do both. When I graduated from college, I went to the Williston Northampton School where I was able to coach both again at a high level. And my college days, I actually interviewed for the football job at Springfield while also had talked to Mark Simeone, the head baseball coach at Springfield College, and was signed on to volunteer with baseball until a football job opened. And so I actually ended up being a football grad assistant because that's where it was paying for my graduate degree. Um, and then the baseball component, I went to Middlebury with, with my old head baseball coach before he was retiring. So I just kind of hopped back and forth wherever the opportunities were when they came up. So following kind of the path of good people around me and chasing both sports that I love, I think they, they pr provide a good balance for me too in terms of coaching mentality, poise, aggression, those types of things. It's a good balance. So I, I enjoy doing both. And, and at Loomis, it's a real privilege to be able to coach one of New England's best football programs and baseball programs for sure. 
Yeah, you talked about your experience coaching at Middlebury. And I was wondering, it, it seems like you hear more post-pandemic with everybody getting the, the red shirt year that people think just in general, the, the level of play has increased at the D1 level, at the D3 level. Guys who might otherwise be playing smaller D1 programs like maybe a Holy Cross or Sacred Heart are ending up with at NESCAC schools now. What, and now you have so many guys going off to college from Loomis. How have you seen the the landscape kind of change in terms of recruiting at the college level? Yeah, I mean, I think that the the athlete as a as a whole, especially in New England, has turned into a more elite level athlete. I think at the high school level, so there are more student athletes that are more prepared to be successful at the college level. I think the other piece is just the amount of recruiting and information that's available and kind of ability to to promote yourself too. I think kids who typically had not been discovered who had ended up at D3 schools. Now it's more of the ability to choose these schools. And I think that the schools and the brands themselves too are a bit more public for people to see. So a lot of kids when they're leaving our program are deciding between that really high division three tier or division one school. And for me, like I work in New Britain in the summertime and we've worked with New Britain bees and there's a lot of good division three players who fit right in with the division one players. You look at a guy like a Luke Broadhurst, who started at UConn, went back to Eastern, is back to UConn again. Guys, guys like that. I think just the good baseball players are good baseball players. And I think people are starting to be able to develop metrics at a variety of levels, whether you're division one or division three, really the big difference is I think the quantity of guys that have the measurables at those programs and the depth of the programs for sure. Coach, I, I was wondering your perspective. It feels like there have there have always been, of course, reclassifications and postgrads, but it seems like in the last two years, particularly stemming from from the COVID pandemic and how that bat- backlogged college recruiting, there's certainly been an influx. I feel like maybe it's just my perception, but as someone who co- follows and covers high school baseball pretty closely here in Massachusetts, it certainly feels like there's been uptick in kids that have reclassified, whether it's leaving public school or their or their state association school and then going to a Loomis Chafee or a NEPSAC school things of that nature. I'm wondering if you've seen a similar influx as well and an uptick as well and kids interested in reclassifying and just your kind of overall take and your perspective on that trend in recent years. Yeah, definitely been an uptick in inquiries and applications. I think we're also a pretty high status school when it comes to baseball and and, and school. So I think we get a higher level of, of uptick of applications recently too. But definitely, I think as you look at guys who are going off to play college baseball, they tend to be a year older. And and a, a part of that, I think, is just that extra year to, to get another couple miles an hour, physically more mature, mentally more mature. At Loomis, we talk a lot about too, kind of the social implications of the extra year, that development of your frontal lobe, especially as a young male, having kids ready to be successful in the community and manage their time well. I think it's just a huge benefit to get that extra year to be prepared for the peer group that you're going to be competing with in that next four years at the college level. So I think the uptick has definitely been there. The transfer portal, you look at the open borders of college admissions where you can go from one school to a different one. The the COVID eligibility piece has definitely jammed up the NESCAC. And you even see NESCAC guys now coming back for their fifth year and some guys who are so qualified that they're going off to play Division One programs across the country. You guys have covered a lot of that in in the the baseball journal, just about kind of the D three to D one avenue. I think it's similar, like the prep school to D three or prep school to D one avenue. It's just that extra year, the post grad year, is kind of like that that stop in between. If you don't want to try the college piece first, too. 
I wonder though, like you hear about all the time now D1 rosters just being too packed with guys and some guys end up in the transfer portal for that reason. They're just not getting the opportunity that they thought they would because either transfers or just classes getting jammed up. Do you have, have you found that at all? Like as I'm looking through your list of players here, 19 guys playing college, 11 D1, you've got like five guys, big time D1 pitchers on your team. Do you ever find it difficult to recruit athletes at Loomis when the program is so loaded and they might have to wait for their opportunities? I think one of the big pieces we talk about here is is the development aspect of it. So early on, you might not be 30, 40 innings in in our kind of six-week shortened season here, but you're going to get the work and the development here, both in the winter and then also in the spring season when we're a, when we're throwing, I think we have typically between three, two to three games a week. And early on, too, we're not stretching guys past the too much over 60 to 70 pitches. So even like our big dog Chandler Cohn, who threw this year, was the best pitcher in, in our league. His first five outings, he threw five no-hit innings. But we did extend him through six, seven. We, we pulled him early and, and got our other guys work. So there was plenty of work for our staff to get in. And then also... If guys hadn't thrown, if they maybe missed a week, we would inter-squad them on the following Monday or Tuesday to keep them sharp and live, and they'd be facing some of the best hitters in New England, too. So you do some some creative stuff with practices and have live at-bats and simulated innings. But, you know, for us, like where we're at, I think we're at a really good place of depth to be able to play a 20-game season in such a short end where guys are not getting their arms taxed. And, and so there's a lot of live arms, and then we just are really diligent about how to plan the work week when guys are... Coming in as freshmen or sophomores, we often do have more probably JV level guys at our school than than some other schools. But we really believe in bringing our JV guys down to Florida, having them be a part of the offseason work in our group chat and just part of the whole program. So it is a little bit of that kind of big high school program feel to it with the JV team and the varsity team that are pretty intertwined. So that development over time is really what we talk about. If kids want to come in and be the ace right away, that's hard, but it, it can happen. And so it's it just depends on kind of the year and the talent we have in the system at the time, for sure. The edition of our New England Baseball Journal magazine that's about to come out for the fall is on travel baseball and on the commitment that the kids are making and families are making financially and also time-wise towards travel baseball. I feel like when people invest in reclassifying or post-grading, they're expecting something in return, right? More often than not, it's, of course, a college scholarship of some kind. I'm curious about the conversations that you have with families so that you and them are both on the same lines in terms of expectations when they come into your program, what the end result's going to be. Yeah, I think as as families are going through it, it's definitely a hard process to navigate. It's definitely something where it takes a lot of experience and nuanced communication. And so when kids are coming in, really what we talk about is is controlling what they can, developing the product and becoming the best baseball player they can be. In terms of triangulating how to get the best college placement, that element was, is what we talk about where I work with the families, with travel coaches as well. It's definitely a collaboration, and then also with our college counseling office, which helps triangulate kind of the academic component of it too. So it's it's not having too much of an ego about it. I mean, I'm, I'm very proud of all the kids who came out of Loomis who have gone on to play baseball, but it's not like my product, right? I think to, for us, it's it's the product of a lot of really good kids and student athletes who have come here, worked hard at school and sports, and then had a lot of supporting village and network around them to help them make the right decisions. And so getting through the communication process and scheduling what they should do, where they're going to play, who they're playing with, all of those things. Really, my job is to just ask them questions on what they want and help give them guidance of what their best path is ahead. And so it, it can be different for every different member of, of the kind of the person who's going to march the journey through Loomis. 
and through through high school and college baseball. You mentioned last year your ace Chandler Coe as a guy you didn't have to stretch him out too much, which was a nice luxury because he had so much depth. He's a little bit he does it a little bit differently for a New England guy. Like he's he's committed to Texas Tech, which you don't normally see a lot of New England guys going down there. He also I think because he plays three sports, maybe he doesn't uh end up at all those like East Coast Pro show, Showcase or Area Code Games or USA Baseball. How do you think, do you think he's kind of an under the radar guy or is it just more because he plays three sports, he's kind of dividing his time a little bit differently? I think he's a little bit under the radar. I think a lot of his choice to play the three sports is what makes him so athletic. And I think it's really channeled kind of the the mindset that he has that he competes with. I think it's unorthodox to be in the Northeast with such a dominant skill set and to be able to still diversify what you're doing. I think a lot of guys up here would would kind of succumb to some peer pressure, some youth pressure, youth sports pressures of specializing on one thing. But the way he competes in the football field and plays tight end for us and blocks and he even plays a little D-line for us right now, just the grittiness he gets out of that. And then his baseball or his basketball piece in the winter, he's he's banging on the hardwood and, and with some really tough athletes out there, some really good players. And then on the baseball field, right, he wants to play third, he wants to hit, and he wants to pitch. So he just, he's an athlete who loves to play. I think for right now, his age, I think it's also, it's what's given him strength and body control and certain pieces of his whole athleticism that are going to benefit him in the long run. I think when he gets to a place like Texas Tech, where they hone in and specialize him, and he's going to be the right age, and he's already got such an athletic foundation, I think he's going to be incredible. I think it's 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 really going to be his decision as to, kind of what happens at the end of the spring. If, if there are scouts around, I mean, his fastball is going to hit a radar gun and, and pop some eyes. What he can mix in with his slider and his two-seamer. And he just has feel and, and he's a competitor. Like he just has that that smile in his face. But I do think you're right. Like typically up here, guys with that stature in one sport would focus on that sport. But I think what's made him so good at the sport as a whole is his diversity and his athletics experience as a kid growing up. The Base Path Podcast will be back after these messages. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England baseball? New England Baseball Journal and BaseballJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England baseball scene. Have every issue of New England Baseball Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to BaseballJournal.com to receive baseball coverage on clubs, college commits, prep and high school, Division One, Two, II, and Three colleges, showcases, rankings, and much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by going to BaseballJournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Baseball Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. 
informative, insightful. I want to build up the multiple sport aspect. I couldn't fall asleep last night, so I picked up a book, which usually does the trick. And the Baseball 100 by Joe Pasnaski, and, it's, and it's, it's kind of his list of the 100 greatest baseball players in his mind ever to play in each of them. For each player, he gives like a two-page vignette that he followed. And one of them was Larry Walker. Larry Walker never played high school baseball. Larry Walker wanted to be a hockey goalie. And so Larry Walker not only never played high school baseball, never played summer baseball, he just picked up baseball one day and the Montreal Canadian, the Montreal Expos needed a player. And so they signed him and he ended up having a great career. I'm curious your aspect nowadays where it feels like to be at that level, if you want to be at that level, you have to play baseball year round, right? Nonstop all the time, like Dan mentioned, East Coast Pro, Team USA, travel baseball, high school baseball, winter leagues, even indoors. What's your overall perspective on the state of the game in that respect and kind of your influence and maybe your perspective on kids playing multiple sports? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a different walk of life for every individual attacking kind of the, the, the game too, right? Because like we've got Gabby Tirado, who is a baseball only guy, catches, has has a skill set that's incredible. He's a sophomore, Team USA guy, and and so he's a one sport guy. So for us, it's I love the idea that kids can pick what kind of the best walk of life is for them. I think it's hard to find people who would support and see the best picture for them without a like vested personal interest, right? For me, what's nice is like as long as Chandler and Gabby are happy and prepared to go on to the next level. Like whichever route they choose, I think is going to be what's best for them. And they both have a variety of kind of interest levels and different things that are helping them prepare. For Gabby too, the difference is he's a hitter. And so getting his live at bats against consistent velocity, consistent pitching approaches is a little bit more challenging if you live in the Northeast, where if you're a pitcher, you could still throw off a bullpen indoors and 60 feet is 60 feet, right? And you're, you're looking at a little bit of a different skill set that you're sharpening. And for Chandler, like when he gets ready to go 100% pitching, which he can't do year round anyways, it's because he needs to have some shutdown periods, some long toss periods, uh, those types of things for him, his polish comes in those winter at bats and he gets to face a kid like Gabby who's been going around on the circuit and in the winter when they compete against each other gets Chandler and Gabby right where they need to be for the spring. I think in terms of the game as a whole, I, I think it's there's more of every sport available year round. I think it's great because there's more opportunity to play. It's it's definitely challenging to navigate what the pressures are for what your specific fit is. I think that's the hardest part is at what age is projectability allowed to be like played into this. And when when should a kid keep playing multiple sports and and that's where I think there's a, a varying degree of of kind of philosophies. And for me, it, it depends a lot on what the family has done in the past, what the kid has done in the past. Have they been, a, have they played other sports? Because for Chandler, he grew up playing football and basketball. Gabby didn't really grow up playing all of those other sports and loving them as much. And so for each different kid, there's different avenues. I think the thing that I'm nervous about sometimes in the Northeast is just the, I think because of kind of the chip on the shoulder up here, like I grew up in San Diego. And so the chip on the shoulder up here, I think, is guys want to play year-round. I think pitchers throw year-round here sometimes too much, where out in San Diego, like when the winter, that's when you're kind of shutting down your arm. Maybe you're doing a long toss program. Like, you know that come January, February, like you'll be back outside throwing again. And so there's not this, like, lost time in your head. And so I think out here, sometimes the single sport pitcher is the kid who concerns me the most, because I think that's where you see most of your, is trying to get those extra three, four miles an hour in the early weeks of December as they're about, they should have shut down late November, but they still haven't from a summer and fall season. 
You mentioned growing up on the West Coast. You shared a story with us in the spring, and it ended up in our spring edition. You lost your parents right after the Founders, during the Founders League tournament, after the semifinal. Your mom texted that they were on their way on an RV trip across to hoping to make it, I think, to your championship game. And then they were in a tragic car accident, and, and both of your parents died. I I remember reading it and just thinking, like, I I can't believe he can't he had the strength to get through that championship game and still continue to provide leadership for your team in that situation. And you talked about kind of the impact that your parents had made on you and that kind of helped you get through it. How did you find the strength to provide leadership to your team during that time? Yeah, so it it was definitely one of the most kind of heart, heart wrenching, gut punching moments of my life that probably the the most. And for me, it was just kind of digging deep. There was, there was a lot of people around here that really reached out and supported me at Loomis. And a lot of the kids that I had, had worked with really since they had come in as ninth graders. And so this was my first ninth grade class last spring. They were they were seniors. And so it was a group that had really become a lot of my family. And, and I didn't even realize they had taken our hats and embroidered on the side of the hat, the word family. And so you know, it just the kids were there for me on on the Monday, so I learned about it on Sunday morning. On Monday, I was scheduled to work with Long Meadow Little League, who was coming to our baseball practice to run the bases and take some bunkers with us afterwards. I had scheduled a, an alumni to come throw for us on Monday, to who was a lefty, and we knew we were facing a lefty on Wednesday, so we had an alum lefty who had graduated my first spring here. Um, so just, there was a lot of stuff that I had planned and a lot of things and structure that were there for me to enjoy baseball and, and enjoy the kids and, and people around me. And so it was, it was certainly something where kind of the, the, the options for me were limited in terms of what I could achieve if I went home right away. And I realized if I just waited for four or five more days, um, that I could finish out my season, finish out what I needed to do for the people in a timely manner, and then head out and take care of my business. And and it worked out really well. And, and some of the things that happened that day were pretty incredible. The kid who is number 16 for us, which is a number I wore when I played for my father, he hit a home run in Keeley. And my dad was the third base coach for me growing up my whole life. And so that was just a pretty emotional, pretty raw moment. The kid is, is it just was it was kind of symbolic of, of my whole life. And my dad was my coach growing up and, until I, I reached high school. He was a lawyer, but but just always took the time to be at sports. My mom was always around. It was just something we did together. We like all did sports together all the time. So for me, the motivation was really from them my whole life in the student athlete capacity. And it's like if when they pass, the last thing they would want me to do is to like quit on my team when that last game to come up for it. So if anything, it made me work harder and be better for my team than ever before. And we had a pretty good practice week, which led to a really fun Wednesday and a really fun championship game. You're a dorm head on campus, so you know, you're know you certainly around both your players, but just the entire student body in general across the board. How much importance you place on, on your role as sort of a leader and, uh, and someone that these, that these kids can look up to, not just on the baseball field, but beyond, both in your role as an assistant athletic director or dorm head? It feels like you've got so much interaction with these students, you just have so many opportunities to impact their high school lives. Yeah, I love being around for the, the dorm, the, the, what I would say, the residential life development, the dorm, the res life, the, the athletics, kind of the outside the classroom character education. That's, that's where I like to be. My whole family shares the space with all the kids, colleagues. And so they see, I've got, I've got four kids that run around. Um, so they see me, I get to be a family man, get to be a coach and a positive role model and, and mentor for some of the young kids on campus for them to just see kind of how to, how to treat people, how to, how to 
be a good person. Those are the things that I, I prioritize the most. It's, it's kind of kindness, optimism and respect for, for people around campus. My, what I love is like my kids, my, my fathering is always put on display. I feel like I'm coaching either my teams or my dorm or my own kids. So there's, I'm always on coaching something, but I, I love, I love the dorm life. I think that the organic moments in the dorm, kind of the late night pizza with a sports game on, those types of things are, are really a joy for us. And my, the way my boys interact with, with the kids in the dorm and, and my own kids is, is pretty special too. So it's a really mutually beneficial kind of my leadership is great. It's, it, it's, I enjoy it, but for the most part too, the benefit of the people really welcoming my family and, and embracing us is really important to us too. It's interesting to hear that perspective because like, I'm sure you're aware the Phillips Andover job just was open like a month ago and you talk to baseball people and they're like, well, I bet it'll be somebody from a college program or like, this is a pretty highly coveted job, just like Loomis would be. You guys have been kind of one and one A over the last few years as the top two prep programs in New England. But to hear that, how important that is to kind of ingratiate yourself in the community and be a mentor and a leader for the kids, and baseball is just a piece of it, that hire probably makes a little bit more sense when I look at it through that lens because they ended up getting somebody who's in the Andover community. What did you think of that vacancy? And do you think it was a highly coveted opening at the prep in the prep school space? Yeah, definitely. Saw saw the vacancy. Happy for for KG. He's he's a good baseball guy, especially in prep school baseball. It does it does make sense for these schools to go after some good school people. I think he also had, had looked like the the new hire had some some good high school head coaching experience in the past too, and was already in the Andover community, as you mentioned. So those, those are helpful pieces. I think anytime you look at these jobs, whether it's a college guy or another high school guy, it's all about fit for the school, the community, the, the athletics desire, kind of the admissions process, all of those things are really important. And so at a place like an Andover, a Loomis, um, we really take those things into consideration when, when the hiring happens. So I'm, I'm, Sure, they did their due diligence. They've got a good athletics department over there. But yeah, these these are it's a fun network of schools to be involved with. For for me, I was kind of bouncing around college jobs before coming back to this. And one of the biggest reasons to come back to prep school was the community life. My my wife was still working at Williston at the time. And so we, you know, she had gone to Cho. We had we had spent time in the Choke community, the Williston community. And and when this job opened, we knew of the school and the fit and the timing just seemed really good. So it's I think those things are all really important to see kind of longevity of the fit and timing. And KG was there for what, 11 years and something like that, 10, 11 years. Yeah. Um, almost a dozen. Yeah. So you look at, at kind of the fit and the timing and the ability to build the program. It's, it's important when you're moving a family to a space or a place to have that, that kind of sustainable career happiness too, for sure. Mm-hmm. Coach, your thoughts on the upcoming season? So we return a lot of really good talent where we had a good senior class last year. I think that the pitching we have this year with two lefties coming off of a season where they were at Tawa and Finn Scott, I'm excited about them. So we'll have a fair share of lefties in the arsenal and some power righties. So I think the pitching will be top notch, seven, seven returning players, maybe eight. So we're looking for the last couple spots to to build up. And then we brought in a good wave of younger kids to to really have the long-term program be good too. So I'm excited. I think the Founders League is as strong as ever. You continue to see guys who are bringing in different recruited athletes and kids from from the region. So it's it's exciting to kind of see the, I'm hopeful we can we can return and, and be as strong as we were last year. I think last year was a super special program for us and a great year. So I know we're going to have a big target on our back for usual. So just hopeful our boys can kind of put in the work day in and day out and 
Hopefully we'll win the first game. That's that's my season outlook. So we'll get down to Florida and figure out what we really have. Yeah, that sounds like fun. Yeah, what do you what do you think of the World Series? Do you have a World Series prediction? Have you guys been watching it? Trying to learn take Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I I'm a I'm a Red Sox and a Padres guy and <laughs> growing up in San Diego. I'm loving Nomar Garcia Parra. So those those are my my two squads. So so totally irrelevant Red Sox this year, which was weird. And then uh, the the pods were were a a, a real fun kind of lightning in a bottle team, but it seemed like it was either going to be them or the Phillies. One of them was going to run out of steam because they both were the underdogs. So I'm I'm going to cheer for the probably the Phillies, even though we do have Luis Guerrero in that Astros organization, but we've, we've all seen enough of the Astros. So <laughs> I, I do like the Bryce Harper story. And I think the, I think, I don't know, that it just, Philadelphia and San Diego seemed like similar organizations in the state, in similar places. And I like, I like where Philly got to. I was, I was bummed to see the Padres go down, but my, my hometown friends, I'm on a group text of about 14 people. And there were a lot of opinions of how, how we could have done better in that series, but we'll, we'll see next year. Maybe Tatis will, will be healthy for a game or two next year and it'll help us, but we shall see. Yeah, that'd be good. Well, Donnie, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's been a pleasure catching up with you about your season and baseball in general. So thank, we appreciate your time. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. Thank you, Coach. Thanks to Donnie McKillop for joining us on the Base Path Podcast. Rate, review, subscribe to the Base Path Podcast on your preferred platform. Thanks to our producer, David Yaz. The Base Path Podcast is a Siemens Media production.